0: Father we know that your word says that when we are absent from this body that we are present with you, and whatever else we might know or may not know, Father, about what exactly happens when one dies, Father, we know that for those who will place their trust in you that when we are absent from this body, we are at home and present with the Lord. Father, I pray you open our eyes and open our ears, Father, to understand your word this morning to be in your word and to be. Compelled by Christ's love, as Paul tells us as we walk away from this place. In the name we pray these things, amen. We are continuing our series this morning uh, through 2 Corinthians, starting at chapter 5 today. If you have your Bibles, I would highly encourage you to get them out right now. We're going to be going through <laughs> all of chapter 5, actually, and into chapter 6 a little bit. Have the word in front of you. Be looking at the word. Um, I'm not going to be going verse by verse necessarily, really more section by section. And so I would encourage you to have the word in front of you. Be looking at it as we go along here. Focus on chapter uh, 5, verse 5. Paul says that we have this first installment of the Holy Spirit. We have this first installment of God's new creation living within us for those who place their trust in Christ. And now what does that do to someone? When you have a first installment of Christ in you, what does that do? What does it compel you to do in this world? And that's kind of the conversation we're going to be having this morning. And so recently, my son Ethan asked, Dad, where is heaven? Now, before I give Ethan any, you know, limited insight I have into all of his theological ponderings, which he has a lot of, by the way, I try to throw the question back at him. And so I say, hey, Ethan, where do you think it is? And he doesn't say anything. He simply points his finger upward. It must be upward. And he says that if you could take a rocket ship and if you could blast off from the earth and you could go up around the sun, you would eventually crash into heaven. He says, Dad, how far do you think it is? And I say, I, I don't know, Ethan. You know, we've explored a lot of the universe, and, you know, we haven't really found it yet. I, I don't know. It, it, it must be crazy far out there. It must be so far away. And then he says, well, don't you think the angels would get tired flying back and forth all the time? And I said, I think they would. I think they would, Ethan. I said, hey, Ethan, where did you get this idea that heaven is up above the cloud somewhere? And he doesn't really have a, a good answer for me. He simply says, I don't know. Then he says, I don't know. Maybe it's because my Bible says that Jesus floated upward into heaven with his ascension. But then, you know, Ethan is smart. He's studying spheres in kindergarten right now. And he says, but dad, if if Jesus floated upward... From where he was, wouldn't that be like he was flo- floating downward from the other side of the world? What, what, what is he's trying to make sense of? What does it mean to be up on a globe? You know, what does it mean to be up on a sphere? He's trying to make sense of it all. I went on to explain to him what I'm presently going to attempt to explain to you. But before I do that, think of heaven. Think of what you understand about heaven. Think about what you know heaven to be like or think at least heaven to be like how was it depicted in popular media any thoughts out there how is heaven usually depicted in popular media or maybe art for the past 500 years how was heaven depicted pearly gates clouds bright lots of light everything is white streets of gold Halos, halos around your head. Kate just sang a few of the uh, impressions that we sometimes have that, I don't know if there'll be harps in heaven. Ever Anyone heard that? There'll be harps. We'll all be playing harps floating on clouds up in heaven. Um, that we'll have a process of earning wings. That we could become angelic. That there'll be bright lights in heaven. I don't know all about that, the song says. All I know is that we will be with Jesus. So for some reason, we developed this notion that it will be a place that people go to when they die, consisting of disembodied spirits floating on clouds, playing harps, standing before pearly gates, and living in a paradise of their own making. We tend to think of earth as being physical, where heaven is spiritual, Immaterial, a place where our souls go and the physical is all done away with. But really, that thought is really more agnostic and platonic than it is scriptural, Jewish, Pauline, New Testament. And Paul, in this section of 2 Corinthians, is very eager to emphasize that fact. That, that heaven isn't this immaterial, spiritual realm. We also tend to think of heaven as being Upward. We get this idea, I think, as my son Ethan was correct, that this Luke's description that when Jesus ascended into heaven, that he went upward, he was taken, Acts 1 tells us, up into a cloud while they were watching as they were strained to see him rising into heaven. So heaven must be upward, right? The Bible tells it's it's upward. That is where Jesus went. He rose in order to get to heaven. But again, what does upward mean when you're standing on a globe? Is upward towards the sun or is upward the opposite direction into space somewhere? What you discover if you, talk, if, you, if you research ancient Jewish and Greek, pre-Christian and Christian understandings of upward and movement and downward in this language that they use, it's not so much to describe literally how things move, but to describe placement, new placement. It was like talking about a high schooler, a student moving from the 10th grade to the 11th grade. There is a new placement that took place, but it's not like the 11th grader is study on the second floor of the building where the first or the 10th grader studied on the first floor. There's a difference in placement that is taking place. So it's not like we live in this three-tiered universe where heaven is up in the clouds and we're here on earth and hell is, you know, somewhere down in the center of the universe, somewhere in the center of the earth somewhere. If we could just explore The farthest regions of space, far enough that we would, you know, crash that rocket ship into heaven sometime. That's not what the Bible is trying to say. That's really more of a Dante-like heaven. That's really more of a Michelangelo-like heaven. And so I don't want to get too overly scientific on you, or sci-fi, if you will. But I want to suggest that it's better to think of heaven as God's space. Heaven is God's space. His dimension of existence, where earth is our space and dimension of existence. And so in the beginning, heaven and earth, God's dimension and our dimension, they were one, they overlapped, they were united. But when sin entered the world, they became separate. But not in the sense where heaven went upward and we stayed below, but they, se- they, they separated in the sense where they became like parallel, intersecting universes. Again, I don't want to get too overly sci-fi on you. One of my favorite authors, N.T. Wright, said, when the Bible speaks of heaven and earth, it is not talking about two localities related to each other within the same space-time continuum or about a non-physical world contrasted with a physical one, but about two different kinds of what we call space, two different kinds of what we call matter. If you could peel back the veil of God's dimension, if you could peel, peel back the, the air surrounding us, if you could peel back the veil, what you would find is that God's space, his realm of existence, his dimension, is all around us. It's not up in the cloud somewhere, it's all around us. And so the reason I bring this up to you today is because as we address our section in 2 Corinthians, you must realize that Paul's understanding of uh, where God is, of where God operates, and Paul's understanding to be with him in that space It's drastically different than our typical understanding. It's drastically different than what the world tries to tell us that space it's like through popular media and art. And the reason you need to understand this is because Paul, along with other New Testament writers, says that through Jesus Christ rising from the dead and being placed at the right hand of God, he has taken that new creation, he's taken his very life, and he has bled it over into our life. That new creation has begun as it seeps its way into our physical realm. That new creation has begun as it seeps its way into our lives as we put our trust in Christ. New creation, heaven's very realm of existence, God's realm of existence has seeped over into our life. We have this guarantee, he says in verse five, of this new installment of new creation. We have this guarantee of new installment of new life, of an eternal dwelling that is already residing in us. And so what does that do to you? What does it do to you the fact that God's realm of existence, his new creation, his his beautiful new life is bled over into our lives? What does that do to you? How does it compel you to live your life? And so this knowledge of new creation, I think, at least in part, it's going to do two things. Although there's many things that it does, at least in this text, it puts our current condition in proper perspective. And second, it compels us to share this life with the world. Paul says, starting at verse 1 of chapter 5. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave the earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to be put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. That's the agnostic thought that I talked about earlier. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and we sigh But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. I love that. These bodies that we live in, these bodies that are decaying, will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. Verse 6, so we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord For we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for when for then we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. And so our current condition is placed in proper perspective. Thus far in 2 Corinthians, Paul has been emphasizing the fact that we suffer in this world. That we all see decay in our bodies, that we are all perishing. We break down and we hurt and that our condition within these earthly bodies, Paul said, it's like jars of clay. We're frail and we're fragile. We're easily broken. Do you guys feel that? Do you guys feel that in living in this earthly body that you're frail? And easily broken. Do you know this to be true? How many of you guys hurt? (laughs) I don't suffer from migraines personally, but I know of people who do suffer from migraines. Does anybody here suffer from migraines? How debilitating they can be. I don't have arthritis, but I know of how horrible arthritis can be to joints. How it can make us unable to move. I know several people who have had knee replacements. Hip replacements, because theirs have either locked up or failed them or, or deteriorating. Our skin gets wrinkled over time. Some of us have wrinkled skin younger than others. Our so- eyesight gets worse. Our healing, hearing fails. We lose strength in our arms and in our legs. Our back and our legs that once supported us and allowed us to function, they weaken. Anybody ever experienced that? It's kind of a universal... Experience, is it not? But not only that, our minds weaken. I know several people who are suffering through Alzheimer's right now. My grandfather died of Parkinson's disease. Our minds are frail. We get sick. We die. Our bodies are weak. They're frail. They're fragile. And so, what do we do? What do we do as a culture? knowing that our bodies are frail, knowing that we're all perishing, knowing that our skin gets wrinkly, what do we do? We buy anti-age cream, right? We try to reverse the aging process. You know, the anti-age industry is a billion-dollar industry in America alone. Everyone recognizes the condition of the human body, and we all run fearfully from it. Everybody knows the body is frail, and we hate it. I have friends who, when they were in their 20s, got bo- Botox injection in their face because they feared one day that they were going to have crow's feet around their eyes. In their 20s, what the heck are you doing? I have friends who got Botox injections into their cheeks when they are in their 20s because they did not want drooping cheeks when they are older. What the heck is that all about? I know people in their 30s, like myself and friends in their 20s who are buying anti-age cream and already applying anti-aging cream so that their face will not wrinkle. In our country, we lock up those who remind us of our frailty in nursing homes, while we idolize the youth, and we envy the youth while we all along lament and mourn the frailty of our bodies and the human condition. And so a survey was recently put out about which cities take the most selfies. Do you guys know what a selfie is? Selfie is a photograph that you take of yourself. Are we a narcissistic nation? I mean, come on, right? Anybody have a guess at what uh, city takes the most selfies? New York. LA wasn't even on the list. Is that weird? Well, not the top, top five anyway. New York takes a lot of selfies. And so we look at ourselves, and we are becoming a narcissistic nation, if we weren't already. But as a survey was being conducted, another jarring statistic was discovered. Since the rise of the selfie in early 2013, which, by the way, was the number one trend of 2012, the selfie, other trends have also arisen. What other trends do you think have been on the rise since the inception of the selfie about a year ago? Anybody? Anybody want to take a stab at this? What other trends are Americans participating now that we take a lot of pictures of ourselves? What? Group pictures. pictures. Yeah, group selfies. Okay. Yeah, a lot of more group selfies. What other trends are on the rise now that we take a lot of pictures of ourselves? What else are we doing? Instagram. Instagram. Okay. What? Photoshop. It actually has nothing to do with technology necessarily. Now that we look at ourselves a lot more than we used to, what are we doing? Thinking about ourselves more and therefore, exercising? Oh man, I' was just going to tell you, come on. We're hating the way we look. We don't like the way we look. So you know what's been on the tr- you know what's been on the rise sharply over the last year? Nose jobs. Ten percent increase over the last year since the beginning of the selfie. Hair implants. Botox injections. We don't like the way we look, and so what do we do? We run from it. We change it. We manipulate it. We as a people are doing everything in our power to cover up the fact that one day these bodies are going to fail us. One day these bodies will stop working, and one day we are going to die. And the devil has played a keen trick in creating this incessant need to forget that we are mortal. Because the entire anti-aging industry, I suggest, is about helping us forget the fact that one day our bodies are going to give out. one day we will die and we will all stand before the judgment seat of God and the devil loves it. So what Paul begins to do in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, though he's really been doing it all along, is to say, Stop focusing on yourself. Don't focus on this broken world. Don't focus on the frailty of the human body and the condition. Start looking beyond to the person of God, to the risen Lord and his new creation, to God's realm of operation, what we call heaven, and the life that will be lived with him when our bodies do eventually fail us. Start focusing on the hope you have in new creation. Look beyond this world. Your intense longing to live forever cannot be satisfied by more exercise It cannot be satisfied by anti-aging creams and surgical procedures, but it can happen through trust in Jesus Christ. And that will change your motivation and your perspective within our current condition. And so we all recognize this, right? That our present bodies are mortal and they're doomed to die and they're heading for corruption and they're decaying. And Paul says, while we are in them, we groan and we sigh and we grow weary. And this is true of everybody. How many of you guys groan and you sigh and you grow weary of the life and the body that you live in? You get up in the morning and your joints hurt and you sigh. You get off the basketball court and you start to wonder, man, was that hour of exercise really worth the one week that I'm going to have to be wobbling? I felt that this week. You 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 begin to forget things and you wonder if your mind is beginning to deteriorate you see that first gray hair or that first wrinkle and your mortality starts to show its face. Everybody experiences it on some level. We all experience this on some level. And this is why the world reacts to aging and the anticipation of death the way that it does. Because whether we like it or not, these bodies will not last. And so there is no hope in the medication of the world. There is no hope in the medication of the world. The face that receives all those Botox injections is still going to turn to dust as it lies in a grave. But the body to come, Paul says, both here and also in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, is one that will not perish. Nothing can harm or destroy that body, he says. And so our present bodies are made of earthly material, and in the end they will turn to earth, but our new bodies which are waiting in heaven will never wear out as the assurance of this truth, Paul says, God has given us a deposit of the heavenly life, his Holy Spirit. God has given us that first installation of new creation, his Holy Spirit residing in us. Paul said in Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit is the first fruits of new creation, first fruits of new creation, that God's restorative plan, when Jesus rose from the dead and his Spirit burst forth in every person who trusts in him, the Holy Spirit is the first installment of of the new life to come. And so for those of us who have even tasted a crumb of the heavenly banquet table, we want more. Do you guys, do you guys ever experience that? Like you want more and you want more. It's like I've tasted a crumb that fell from the heavenly banquet table and I just want more of it. We long to be made new in other words. We long to be made new. My wife Emily, her grandfather recently passed away. And he experienced the frailty of his body in, in ways that were, that were beyond imagination through strokes and heart attacks and, and hip replacements and all sorts of things. His body was deteriorating. And, and he asked, God, why won't you just take me? I just, I, just, I want to go, Father. For years, for years he wanted to go. And he wondered why God kept him on this earth. He just wanted to be with Jesus. He wanted that new body that was promised him. He had that anticipation, right? He had tasted the heavenly crown, the heavenly crown, and he wanted more of it. But until the life of heaven is fully revealed, either through death or Christ's return, we are resident aliens longing for a world that is not our own. This world that is full of sin, it is not our home. We don't belong here. We were made for the new world, for the new creation. And so, of course, as Paul says, we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for we shall all be at home with the Lord. We long for a world to be set right. We don't want these frail bodies. We want new bodies. We want bodies that aren't going to ache in pain. and We don't want to live in the stress of living in the sinful world. We want new bodies. And Paul is saying that it exists in part in every person who has placed their trust in Jesus Christ. You have that first installment of the Holy Spirit. New creation is already beginning to give birth in you. And so when heaven is tasted, you want more, you want to please God and run further into his realm because you realize that he and he alone is the solution to the chaos of the world, that he and he alone is the solution to the decaying world we see all around us. And if it is true that heaven is God's realm here and now, and not some utopian paradise that we're going to escape to upon death, then how we live our lives right here and now matters. Do you guys get that? That how you live your life right here and now matters. Because heaven is just on the other side of the veil. It's not some mystical place up above the cloud somewhere. And so when you stand face to face with God in his realm that doesn't see decay and doesn't see death, then he will purge and judge all that is not decay and death. So preparing us to inherit this new life, this new body, is going to be a process of judgment that we're all going to have to undergo, he says putting our bodies through the fire of judgment will be the burning away of all the dross that is not Jesus Christ in our lives. And so the second component of having the Holy Spirit as a first installation of heaven is that it compels us to share this new life with the world. Paul continues, he says, Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No. We are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. If we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. God is making his appeal through us. Incredible. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time I heard you, on the day of salvation I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. And so Paul moves from this thought that because I have been changed, I therefore long to be in God's presence to because I have been changed, I must share it with the world. He says, we worked hard to persuade others. In the same way we have been reconciled, let's work hard to tell others about reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors, he says. God is making his appeal through us. That's incredible. That's daunting. That scares me. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. It's kind of like a really good Mexican restaurant. You know, when my wife and I first discovered Cancun up here on Highway 1, we told everybody about it. We were like, this place is incredible. Everybody's got to go to this place. And so we told them a Clear's, and we saw them there like the next day. We went there five times over the course of the next month. Let's all go to Cancun together, by the way, all right? The restaurant, by the way. Well, let's go to the island, too. That'd be fun. Man, we have this compulsion. We tasted something that we thought was so good. We experienced something so right and so good that we just had to share it with the world. Do you guys ever experience that? Do you guys ever feel that way? Whether it be Rexkin restaurants or Jesus Christ, hello? There is this compulsion board of God's love that draws us to teach the world about the life that we have. I know this to be true in my own life. I absolutely know this to be true in my own life. And the fact that I don't always tell people about God's love does not mean that I'm not compelled to share God's love with the world. Because, you know, I see the brokenness in the world. You guys see the brokenness in the world? You see the frailty of the human body, and you see it not only in yourself, but in others, and you say, man, I know a solution to that. You know, before I came to Christ, I was really, well, you know, even early on in my Christian walk, I was very judgmental. And I was judgmental because I was envious. And I was envious because I looked at what other people had, and, and I didn't have it, and it Created self-pity within me. But I came to Christ and and that changed. And so I look at people who are judgmental and envious and self-pitying. I look at all this and I'm like, I have a solution for that. You you don't have to live in self-pity. You don't have to be so down on yourself. You don't have to hate yourself. I have a solution for that. It's Jesus Christ. Do you guys ever feel that way? You guys recognize who you were before Christ, and you're like, I see people who used to be like me in judgment or hate. I used to be angry. I used to be impatient, and I hated the way I felt inside. I hated that inside of me, and and I have a solution for that. And so when I see angry and impatient people, I'm like, I have a solution for that. I know how you feel. You don't have to be this way anymore. You don't have to be angry. You don't have to be impatient. I have a solution for that. Jesus Christ. Do you guys feel that? Who am I? Do you feel it? You know, I remember my life before I came to Christ. I was an interesting kid and in that I had a very strong moral compass. I knew it was right from wrong, and for the most part, I always did what was right. I was a rule follower, and I was a people pleaser, and so I worked really hard to make sure that everybody liked me. I worked really hard to please everybody, to make them appreciate me, to say the good things about me, to puff me up, and to shower me with praise. And you know what happens when Christ is introduced to a person like that? It creates a Pharisee. It creates a religious kid is what it creates. A person who is all about just doing things rather than being compelled by Christ's love. And so when I first became a Christian, it was not through the avenue of realization of my frailty and my sinful nature. It It was because I wanted heaven, to be honest. I reflected one night on what would happen to me if I never woke up from my sleep and all I could see was darkness. All I could see was black forever and ever and ever for all of eternity. All I saw was darkness and it scared me. And so what did I do? I accepted Christ as my savior because I was told that in him, my afterlife could be changed, that when I die, I would go to heaven. And so I became a Christian. But there was nothing in me that actually changed because notice my motivation was to get this heaven, this fire insurance when I died. It wasn't to be compelled by God's love. I looked like a good kid on the outside and I remained to look like a good kid on the outside. Nothing in me changed. I was still just the same moral kid doing what was good and I may have looked better than a lot of the Christians because naturally I was a moral kid. I was religious in that I attended a lot of services and I led a lot of youth programs but I was not compelled by Christ's love because i already had my ticket to heaven i already got by accepting jesus christ and saying this prayer what i came for i got heaven out of it that's what i wanted i never had to reflect on my frailty and there's very little reflection on who i was before jesus there's very little reflection therefore on what jesus did on the cross And so why go through the trouble of being compelled, right? Why go through the trouble of having to share my faith, of being compelled by by this love? If I already have what I came for, if I already have the heaven, that's guaranteed me at the end of life. And because that was the mentality, nothing changed in me. All I did was slap the Jesus bumper sticker onto the side of my life and I lived away. I never inherited the first installation of that new creation. I never inherited that new first installation of God's spirit within me, of his heaven invading my life, the Holy Spirit had never begun to do its work in me. I don't know how many of you fall into that same category where you accepted Christ and all you became was religious, but there's no compulsion to love anyone in that. There's no gazing upon the cross and seeing what Christ did, and there's no compulsion to love anyone in that. There's no compulsion to seek after God. There's no taste of that heavenly banquet table that says, I need more. I need to run further into God's kingdom. I need to run further into God's heaven. There's no compulsion to do anything, because you're still living under selfish motives. And so, as Paul says in verses 14 and 15, I had never died to the old self, right? I'd never received Christ's new life, and therefore I continued to live for myself. I didn't have compulsion to bring heaven into earth, more so because I'd never tasted it. i never received that first installation. It wasn't beautiful to me, and I never thought I needed it. But when you look bluntly into the face of God, when you look bluntly... And you fixate on the cross and you realize that you are a broken person. That when I realized finally, years after I became a a Christian, that I was a broken man, man, something changed. That first installation of God's Spirit was submerged deep into my heart. God's new creation began to be birthed in me. His very realm of existence, heaven, infiltrated my realm of existence and everything changed. I became compelled by God's love. I was changed. You guys ever experienced that? Amen? The old life you once lived, longing to satisfy itself and compelled by selfish motives, doing all that it can to cover up the frailty of this world and your individual body and how you ache and how you hurt and the pain, covering all that up because you would rather live in ignorance of the truth than engage the reality of our sin. That old life, that selfish, self reigning, heart bent in on itself life, all of that was done away with when I fixated on the cross of Jesus Christ. I had become a new person. And that's something to celebrate. I'd become a new person. That was something to celebrate. God's life, His family realm of existence, heaven had infiltrated my heart. The old life is gone. The new life has come. I am an ambassador of Christ. New creation has begun. And I was compelled. I was compelled by God's love in me. And so are you, friends, Restoration Church, are you compelled? Are you compelled by the love of God in you to share this with the world? I think of my father. I think of my mother. I think of my sister and my brothers. I think of my neighbors, and I have no idea what their salvation is like. And I think of what an eternity would be like separated from God, separated from God. And we call that hell, by the way. And I'm scared as I think about that. When you guys think of your loved ones and not knowing Jesus Christ, do you get scared? Do you get fearful? How many of you would like to live separated for all of eternity from God? And, uh, and, and, and hell is, is a realm of existence that is in isolation and darkness and separation from God. How many of you think you would get lonely after a few days? Thinking for all of eternity. And that compels me and that drives me to say, My Lord, let me tell you about the God I know. Let me tell you about what Jesus Christ has done for you to, to release you from the frailty of your body. to release release you from that hatred and and that anger that you feel, and that impatience and that judgment. Let me tell you about the God I know. Are you compelled? Are you Christ's ambassador? Is God making his appeal through you? Are you a reconciler? I can't force you, Restoration Church, to be a reconciler. I can't force you to be compelled. I can't force you to be God's ambassadors. But God's Spirit living in you, it compels you to be so. If you put your trust in Christ, you are compelled to be so. And so I plead with you, along with Paul, to not ignore this privilege. Please don't ignore this privilege of sharing Christ with the world. And I plead with you, along with Paul, to look intently at your life and how you are living And how God has been good and the cross of Jesus Christ. And I plead with you to allow his spirit to compel you to bring his new creation into this world. And I plead with you along with Paul that if you do not know Jesus Christ, to look at your own frailty. Look at the frailty of your body. It's not going to last forever. Look at the sin in your life. Look at how you rebelled against God. Look at how you don't love. Look at the sin and how you are in need of a Savior. And I plead with you as you recognize that, not just to wallow in self-pity and, and, and woe is me, but to look at the cross because that is the solution to it all. God has said, lay your burdens before my cross and receive my forgiveness. And for all who would place their trust in the cross of Jesus Christ, he will implant within you the first installation of new creation, the first installation of his new life. And it will begin to flourish in you, and it will begin to be born in you, and it will grow. And you will be compelled by the love of God, not only to be a changed person, a new life, a new creation, but to share that with the world, to be an ambassador. Amen? Amen. Amen. Please stand for the benediction. Just a few things before you go. First, if you are a first-time guest here, take that... Um, actually, you may, have, you may have handed in the offering plate. Come and see me. If you're a first-time guest, I'd love to say hello. I'd love to meet you in person. Uh, second, if you need prayer, I would be happy to pray with you. I'll be up here afterward. Please come and find me. I'd be happy to pray with you. Third, Newcomer's Lunch. If you want to join me for lunch today and my wife and my family, then uh, please come and see me afterward. We'll, we'll have you over to our house And um, we'll tell you all about Restoration Church, what we're hoping to accomplish here. Lastly, if you are a member of Restoration Church through Grace Point in Newtown, then I would encourage you to come forward, put a vote in for our new elders. Come and see Keith Brown. He'll be up here afterward. It's very important that you do so. We do need a quorum in order for these new elders to be installed. Restoration Church, let us go from this place compelled by the love of God. He has done such good things in our life, and that first installation of his new creation, the first installation of his his life in us, is compelling us to live this life different in the world, to be his ambassadors, to take with us wherever we go this hope of new creation. And when we see the frailty and the brokenness in the world around us, to speak truth into it, not in a judgmental way, but in a hope-filled way. Amen? Amen. Go in peace as you do so. God bless you all.